Welcome back to the second part of the December edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. In the first part, we've already previewed the Christmas period and reflected on uh, the season so far. And now we're going to have a little bit of fun uh, with the decade closing down. We're going to pick our Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast team of the decade and we'll go through a few of the magical moments. I'll throw a few sort of hints and um, players that you might want to pick in each position at you and then you can debate away and we get our um, podcast team of the decade. So we're going from obviously the 1st of January 2010 up to the present day. So we'll start off with the goalkeepers and I think we've probably got four genuine candidates here. Mark Tyler, Christian Walton, Marek Stetch and James Shea. No, sorry, Stuart Moore, you're not included in this, I'm afraid. Um, and I would be fairly confident you're all going to pick the same person. Mark Tyler. Mark Tyler yeah, for me. So. Yeah. Mark Tyler. That's a pretty um, straightforward one. Yeah, it, just, it was a great servant the for the why. club. Yeah. A great servant for the club. It was a great servant. He never missed a match for a couple of years. Um, played a very long uh, time. Very sure hands. Great shot stopper. Brilliant um, shot stopper. Considering his size as well. He's not a big bloke. Um, very popular as well. Only with very very well, with the ladies you watch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> Take your word for that. Um, <laughs> It's it's a shame for Shea because last season it was uh, fabulous. Obviously, if winning a Golden Glove with that mm. amount of clean sheets, twenty odd queen, clean sheets, is a phenomenal achievement. Um, so it's a it's a testament to how impressive Tyler was generally uh, in sides that weren't as good as last season as well. So um, maybe uh, the strength of Luton last season shielded Shea a bit from too many. Uh, too many chances, but uh, Tyler had to do a lot more work. Uh, you're not, none of you picked Walton, just wasn't here long enough. Mm. It was really good, I know, and it's a shame he went back. Well, if I mean, if he wasn't recalled when he was, who knows when this revival would have started? Because as I hinted to there, Stuart Moore came in for him, didn't he? And it had well, mm. the wheels came right off the wagon. Mm. I think between the sticks. Just going back to what James was saying about uh, James Shelley, I think special mention has to be made of his performance at Rochdale last season. Mm. Yeah, he won yeah. Uh, one Got a point there, that, didn't he? Yeah. A point. Mm. Showed just how, what a good goalkeeper he was. And actually, Stetch came in at the right time as well, didn't he? Because mm. he was, you know, after the Stuart Moore debacle against Blackpool, the, the goalkeeper was going to be under pressure the following season and he Did steadied well. the ship until well. James Shea came in ahead of him. But yeah, I think everyone around this table, and I'm sure most of you out there would have Mark Tyler in goal. Uh, let's go to the right back position. Three um, standout selections here, I think. So I'll let you choose from them. Uh, you've got the conference title winning captain and arguably the man who turned it all around, Ronnie Henry, uh, James Justin and some fella called Jack Stacey. Got to be Jack right, Stacey. right back, is it? Yeah. Right back, yeah. So he's got to be Jack, Jack Stacey. Stacey. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he scooped all the player awards, didn't he, in his final season? And yeah, I would go with that. Just a word then, Tony, on Ronnie Henry? Um, he was a good captain, what we needed at the time, but he blotted his copybook when he went back to the chefs. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't get you to have a word on James Justin, because we'll put him forward in the left-back position as well. Mm. Uh, you've got just again from that title that conference side you've got Scott Griffiths uh, since then you've got Dan Potts James Justin and uh, also Jake Howes has played a fair bit in that position where are we on the left back 
JJ. You've got to go JJ. Basically, is one of our own. He's come from Class the system. Act. Class act. Learned a lot. Jake Howes was uh, was good in that position, but personally, I think he was a bit, bit better in midfield than he was in a defender. And I guess Dan Potts last season probably pushed him below James Justin. Well, in this season, I mean, it's not gone well for him, has it? <laughs> it really hasn't. Mm. Decent servant, though, as was Scott Griffiths, Tony. Yeah, Scott was a good servant and was a good friend, but, uh, you know, he, I think even Scott would turn around and, 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 and say that JJ was the man. Yeah, man flying his trade in the Premier League, and long may that continue. Okay, so we want two centre-halves. Obviously, you've got free reign to choose whoever you want here. I'll just throw a few selections at you over the course of the decade. It started with George Pilkington, Janos Kovac. Uh, Steve McNulty obviously popular at the time for plenty of reasons going more further forward Scott Cuthbert Alan Sheehan and then the present day two um, Sonny Bradley Matty Pearson so two centre-halves debate away uh, I love Steve McNulty he was a fan favourite wasn't he and he's much better footballer than people get credit for a lot of, a lot of his talk was always about his size wasn't it so um, love the love the chest back to the goalie Really got those wrong. Where was he at Brentford? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, um, and he scored that rocket of a volley, didn't he? Mm. Uh, the, the team escapes me, but you see it on social media, doing the rounds every now and again. Mm. Um, and I would have Matty Pearson from last season next to next to him. Tony, do you know I, I'm going to agree with James on both of these again, McNulty. Uh, because his influence on the side, he came in and James said he, he was a much better footballer than play, people gave him credit for. They, they, people often made that mistake and he made no difference to that defence. He shored it up and made it so tight when we won the conference. Uh, Matty Pearson, again, um, how he was last season, he he was like a brick wall. Mm. He played really well, and not only that, the goal threat from him as well. Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, I'm I'm hoping he will step up and become a championship player. Mm. Happy with those two, Reg? Well, I'm happy with uh, McNulty. Like you say, he was a much better player than he got credit for. But I'm going to go for Kovacs because he just won everything in the air. Mm-hmm. Terrific um, ball control in the air. Um, never phased by anybody it didn't matter who he was playing against um, and I don't think he had many bad games fair enough uh, he, he, he didn't and obviously he was part of that Norwich win wasn't he and mm. as as was George Pilkington um, one of the great days which we'll speak about in a minute uh, the fact that two of the chats went with Pearson he gets the vote uh, in that defence midfield we've not really played winners much over the course of the decade so let's not worry about positions in the midfield we're just looking for four midfielders so uh, let's go through just a few of the names that you can have uh, going into the conference side you had Pelly, obviously still a modern day we'll debate if, whether he's a legend again I'm sure um, Cameron McGeehan and Luke Guttridge um, before that conference winning side you had players like Keith King uh, Jonathan Smith was in that conference winning side wasn't he Alex Lawless um, Andy Drury and then since then you've had players like Alan McCormack Luke Berry Izzy Brown 
Andrew Shinney and of course Glenn Ray so you're looking for four midfielders and there's plenty of others that I've not named George Monkirby and another one of course mm-hmm. I think some of them haven't really been at the club long enough um, and what about Izzy Brown he's class act <laughs> but again um, compared to the service we've got from some of the other midfielders you know it's, but Izzy is he the best midfielder you've seen this decade? So, because I went for Pearson from last season, just that one season. Yeah. It can be just a snapshot, I suppose, can't it? Yeah, it could, but again, it's the thing is, you know, has he been here long enough? Um, I, I've. It, this is a very hard choice, midfield more than defence or up front. Um, I would imagine that most people around the table is going to have Pelly, Ruddock and Panzu in yeah, their side. Yeah, I was just about to say yeah. Pelly because of uh, he joined us in the conference and has come through all the way to the championship with us and, and, and he doesn't look out of place in the championship. So, yeah, for me, Pelly's got to be a must. I think it was Izzy Brown... Um, I think it would be fair to the other players for Izzy Brown to be a substitute in that team mm. rather than pick him as, as a player of the decade because he's only played this season and it's not really fair on the likes of the other players that have gone mm. through from the conference or whatever to say oh Izzy Brown's the greatest he's probably the best player we've had since Ricky Hill but we've only seen him for three months uh, what if we take fairness out of it and no. gentlemanly conduct <laughs> but just be ruthless no, I, I, I still reckon he should be a sub on the bench in that time yeah. so then we're looking for three other midfielders to go alongside Pelly. I'll go Alex Lawless Alex Lawless yeah, because um, again another player who came in and, and gave us good service and uh, purely as well because he, he had a dip in form and the, player, the crowd were getting on his back, but he came back from it and turned out to be an even better player uh, and uh, became a, a crowd favourite. And also, as I said, for that goal in the playoff semi-final at, at Wrexham, you know, that very reminded me of the, the great German captain, Lothar Matthias, um, the sort of goal he would have scored. It was a cracking goal. Also scored the goal against Wolves that set up that yes, nice tie yes. as well, didn't he? Yeah. Where are you on Lawless James? I don't, I'm getting five. You're not convinced. I don't know if he's the best of the decade. He did all those things that I take your point on them. Um, I think. I think there was a period once Luton got back into the league where, at certain points, the level looked too much for some players. You know, it's not. You can improve. Obviously, we've talked about that for certain players in this episode but if you've spent most of your career around non-league then that's probably where you are isn't it so I'm not I, I know a lot of the a lot of this decade was in the non-league so only half of it yeah but uh, I don't know have you both gone for Alex Lawless um, I'm more inclined to go for Gutridge actually because that was I, I my next thought, choice Gutridge I just thought he, he, he could put a ball on a sixpence from 30 yards yeah, when he needed to. I'd, yeah, I'm more comfortable with that choice. Mm-hmm. That's the second one then. Luke Cartridge is in. So I'm guessing then, James, that you're looking at players more recent. 
league, you know, league players as opposed to from that conference side. So are we looking? Are we looking at current players? Andrew Shinney, Luke Berry. Well, Andrew Shinney had a rough time in his first season, didn't he? He was really good last season. Um, up and down this season again. Uh, but you know, if I've gone for Pearson from one season, then I happily have Al- uh, Shinney from last season. You said Alan there, <laughs> so Andrew. Alan McCormack. Keith two seasons, didn't he, McCormack? Keith Keith Glen Ray. Uh, Cameron McGeehan. Yeah. Not Cameron McGeehan for me. No, uh, I never rated McGeehan. He had a knack of popping up in the right place for goals, but don't think I can remember much else than what he did. No. Um, Keith Keane's a good shout. Yeah, and Keane played in. In Sweden, you know, against Oxford. Yeah, he, he played in the Championship for us, League One, League Two. So then we're looking and the conference. Did he? Oh, he left before we went to the conference, didn't he, Keith Keane? No, no, he played the he conference. Played, yeah. Yeah. He scored that goal against Oxford in the conference. Of course, he did. Yes, um, I think you should put McCormack on the bench in that team, isn't it? Yeah. So if McCormack's going on the bench, who's going to be the uh, fourth midfielder? Keith Keane. So we've got Pelly Keane, Guttridge, and. Oh, we need another one, do we? Well, we're playing four. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been we've been accustomed to the diamond for so long. It's, it's ingrained in the podcast team. Lawless. His attitude as well. You're not putting Nichols in there. No, he wasn't. He was before the the. He, we just, he played just in caught, the first year the of the decade. Yeah, yeah, but he was not the same player. Good leader, though. Very Excellent. good leader. Absolutely. Apart from his performance in the JPT final, but that's not. So we have, <laughs> yeah. So we're having Lawless over McCormack, over Shinny, over Berry. Mm. I'd stick McCormack in. I really, when he was in the team. I guess the question is: mm. Would we have been promoted last season, mm. and possibly even the League Two season, without Callum? If McCormack. you're looking at it that way, Kev, then I would go McCormack. Yeah, he had a bit a bit about him where he could mix, he could play as well. Mm. He could pass, and he had, he had a wonderful yeah, shot on him. He well, had the now. We had a, a little drop off, didn't we? And we had to come good at the end, and it was mm. coincidental co- coincided with him coming back, didn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. And last season, and as well, if you look at it, well, he, yeah. he got us over the line. Yeah, well, there was the all time. that glamour, wasn't there? Or would yeah. be fit to play against Oxford? As it turned out, it didn't matter in terms of promotion, but he did play against Oxford and we did beat Oxford. We did win the title, so that's mm-hmm. fair enough. I suspect strikers are a little bit easier for you guys to choose from, but we'll throw out uh, homage to as many of them as we can over the course of the decade. So if you go right the way back to the start of it, you have the likes of Kevin Gallen coming forward a little bit further. Scott Rendell, obviously the hero of that Norwich game. And then you have in the conference winning side, a certain Andre Gray, Paul Benson, um, moving again further forward. You've got Jack Marriott, Elliot Lee, Isaac Vassell, to the modern day of um, Harry Cornick, Danny Hilton, and based on the sort of love we've given him for two years, I would be amazed if James Collins doesn't uh, mm. reach the team. But it's your team, so uh, fire away. Yeah, well, Collins and Nathan for me. Yeah, yeah. his work rate, his goals. Right, um, right from his first game for us with a hat trick. 
you know, he, he made such a difference up front with his, his work rate, as you said, and uh, his attitude as well. And he hates losing, doesn't he? And a player who couldn't do it in League One, but did do it in League One. Couldn't do it in the Championship, but he's yeah. doing okay in the Championship. Yeah. But he's uh, proven everyone wrong as uh, he gone along. And of course, he's an international footballer whilst at Luton Town as well, isn't he? And there's not well, many exactly. in that list that have got that. So who's his strike partner going to be then? Andre Gray. I'd have to defer to the boys here because I wasn't around for the, the conference winning season. I buggered off to London for a bit, but uh, yeah, I did. I did see him when they when he first came to the club, and I was at the Hinkley game in the Trophy where he ran ribbon ran, ran rings around Newton's defence and looked impressive. But to be fair, that defence was freezing cold like we were in the stands. Wasn't it? <laughs> it was one of the coldest but nights. Also, when he when he joined Luton and he he scored on his debut, on his debut, and then he scored in the next four games, um, massive impact. And the fact that he scored thirty goals in that conference winning season, you know, he, he you know, that even without his goals, we would have won the conference. But still, to do that, thirty, and and the fact as well that he could have gone in the January transfer window of that season, but he said no, I'm going to stay and finish the job. And uh, it was great to see him pick up the, the golden boot as well at the end of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame he's still playing in the Premier League, isn't it, given who he's playing for in the Premier <laughs> yeah. League? But obviously he's been there for four or five years now. Uh, Gray over Benson? Yeah. I think so. It's, it's a shame that you can't squeeze Danny Hilton in there because his yeah, strike I'd, I'd, rate I'd, was phenomenal. Danny Hilton, I'd, I'd give a special mention to because... I think Danny is uh, when he came in he, he did make a difference to us to mm. the spirit in the team and you know he epitomises what we're about really doesn't he some credit not in there yeah. uh, he was also sort of phased out under the maniac that was Richard Money at the start of the uh, <laughs> yeah. of the decade speaking of the maniac Richard Money we own a few of them as manager over the uh, course of the decade but we do need a manager for this team I'm not going to put him forward you'll be surprised to know nor am I going to put forward Gary Brabin or Paul Buckle but there are still three standout candidates uh, John Still Nathan Jones and Mick Harford who manages this team John Still yeah, yeah, you've yeah, got okay, to go with John Steele, haven't you? John Steele, because when he came in, he turned it round totally. Um, he started pulling the club together, so everybody was working together, going in the same direction, and he instilled belief into the players that we could do it. Control the control. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he made sayings like that popular. Yeah. And never, never too high, high never, never too low, which is something that everyone could as well as being a, a, a lovely, lovely guy. Truly, truly great guy, actually. Got his name on a bus. Had the pl- and the freedom of living. Yeah. What possible better honour um, could he have had than that? I had the pleasure of meeting uh, John Steele on a number of occasions. Yeah. Plenty of stories to tell yeah. from it. Really, really good guy. And like you say, the man who started the revival, who should never be forgotten. And of course, his influence is still on this side today, having been the man that signed Pelly Rudder Campanzu, who is still shining on the side. So that's fair enough um, selection as the manager. So the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast team of the decade is Mark Tyler in goal, James Justin at left back, Jack Stacey at right back, Steve McNulty and Matty Pearson at centre-halves, four midfielders of Pelly Rudder-Campanzu, Keith Keane, Luke Guttridge, Alan McCormack and the great James Collins and Andre Gray up front, managed by the wonderful John Still.
Before we stop with the um, decade, there's been some fantastic moments <laughs> along the way in this decade. And to be fair, we were teed up for a great decade with a cup win in 2009, wasn't we? And I know, obviously, what followed was three or four years of doom and gloom in the conference. But there was one great day in that conference uh, before we before that conference winning season, and that was when we went to Norwich. You were on the opposite side to us, um, James. Well, we made history that day, and what a day that was. Oh, it was a brilliant day out. Brilliant. brilliant day out. We were expected to do nothing in that game, and we all went there, you know, thinking we were going to get turned over, and but we were going to back the team. And when that goal went in, just unbelievable. You know, and even Norwich, you know, afterwards, walking down the road from the game, Norwich fans coming up to us and saying, well done. They were very gracious in, in defeat. The players hated it, though. Yeah. I see the look on the players' faces when that ball went in and the camera went around the ground. And God, dear. <laughs> I mean, we all remember that goal, don't we? You know, Fleetwood yeah. just come on as as a J.J. O'Donnell. Fleetwood picked out J.J. O'Donnell. Everyone screaming, get it in, get it in, get it in. And finally he did. He and Grendel was there. Brilliant finish. I mean, what was it like looking across and seeing 4,000 Luton fans go mental? I don't know because I wasn't there. Oh, you wasn't? <laughs> I thought you would have been no. with Simon. No, of course. No, it's uh, during my wilderness uh, years. Everyone sort of remembers Simon's commentary from that. And Simon's commentary at the time was becoming quite synonymous, wasn't it? Because his celebration of the Keith Keane corner at uh, the start I, of I, the I decade is still yeah. going viral to this day, yeah. I think. it's uh, that You was at that night? Yes, I was actually. And that was a magical night. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had him in my Amazingly head. enough, not many people will remember that the manager of Oxford that night is Chris Wilder, who's currently plying his trade at Sheffield United. Yeah. Fair to say his career went in a different path to Richard Money's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Mr. So then we came Mr. To, Crazy. <laughs> then we came on to the conference winning season and there was some... Around about this time of year, actually, there was some really good football played by that yeah, team, wasn't there? Yeah, there was, and you know, two things stick out in my mind, and, and one was the equaliser in the last couple of minutes at Cambridge, um, and we all went mental because I think we realised that that we were going to win the title. We, we didn't actually finally... mention Mark Cullen in the yeah. team of the decade, yeah. there, did we? But no. obviously, an honourable mention for that yeah. goal. Well, you can't I mean, be in the I, team I, of the decade after he did for Blackpool. <laughs> no, <laughs> a, a work colleague of mine was a Cambridge United fan, and uh, he he went to the game, and he was the opposite side to where we were on the main side. I was standing next to Stephen Brown, and we were hugging each other and jumping up and down. And he said he'd never seen anything like it. The Luton support. He said. You know, you can be well proud of how you backed your team, and he said when you went crazy, the noise and everything was, he said, was fantastic. And that kind yeah. of season was rounded off at home against Forest Green. Although I know the last game was Hideaway, mm. but the scenes against Forest Green, the day that the title was lifted, and everyone was up in the director's box, and Pelly was lobbing Andre Gray's shoe that's still dangling somewhere in the main stand. I'm absolutely convinced, and uh, just great scenes that we've um, seen lots of since, thankfully. Brilliant days, brilliant memories. Yeah. And then we kind of go into the the League Two season and we'll gloss over that fateful night against Blackpool because that was one of the lowest um, of all the playoff defeats over that decade. But then came promotion, not with the title, but as runners-up and deserved, deserved promotion. And those scenes were repeated once again. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's most of my memories of the decade... Um, are those scenes after games 
And well, particularly that season, I suspect, at Notts County. Yeah, I mean, that was a spine-tingling thing just to see that. I mean, the fact that um, Notts County... This was, time you was at Notts County. I so was I'll there, repeat yes. the question from Norwich. What was it like looking across Meadow Lane to 5,000 Luton fans? Down uh, one whole side, wasn't it? it? Was, not, it not, not behind a goal like you sometimes are. Yeah. Down one whole side. It was lump-in-the-throat stuff, really. It was because, uh, you know, Notts County graciously gave... Uh, looting the whole side of Meadow Lane so they had one of the uh, main stands and I was on the press box was on the other side of the pitch so I got to see the whole thing and um, didn't stop singing for the whole game you or the Luton fans <laughs> the Luton fans <laughs> to be fair it was a catchy number that was in my head as well yeah but uh, Won't and, be sung again if while, James no. had been singing they'd have, he'd have emptied the ground yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but then there was that iconic moment, wasn't there, where players and coaching staff were kind of stood in a long, long line, yeah. looking at the Luton fans. It was electric stuff, just spine tingling, and then um, to go the next day down to St George's Square, uh, and so many people f- filling that place, and it was, oh, it was just a wonderful atmosphere. Um, we were there, weren't we? And we were. Uh, <laughs> got in the civic reception. We and, did. Yeah, uh, that was it. A little bit of champers. <laughs> I think I remember we were straight for the champers, weren't we? And uh, quite rightly so. And then, of course, Tony, the following season, I guess the, the highlight for many of the League One season was that snowy night in January when Portsmouth came to town. And what an impact George Moncur made. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a great night. Tremendous night. Um what a wonderful season um, because nobody expected it not least any of us <laughs> you know <laughs> nobody expected it yeah. and actually the the real thing that I took out of that season was mixed redemption mm. yes yes that was the, the yeah, he was gracious that enough was the to give best us thing his time on this podcast a couple of times yeah. last season wasn't he uh, yeah he was you tell the difference from the first time that we interviewed him to that second time at the end of the season that he kind of that redemption that he had meant so much to him, didn't it? It, was, it, meant, it meant a lot to me, actually, because I... Um, it, it's strange how these things work, isn't it? Because I was in the same room for both the occasions of when he'd just won the title uh, to get Luton into the championship, but also uh, 10 years earlier when they'd he was in charge when they'd got uh, relegated out of the Football League. And the contrast was, I mean, it's heartbreaking. That was the worst night uh, in my career ever um, having to report on that and then try and ask him questions and it didn't, it, I can't even remember what I said or what he said it was just uh, you know everybody knew it was sort of coming obviously because of the, the bloody punishment that they dished out but uh, when it actually hit it was it was horrible so soon after the hire the JPT well too, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that was incredible so I know that wasn't in this decade but the contrast from last season when uh, it he was on that pitch and he was holding the scarf and there's a big there's a great photo of him who meant so much to him and then because he was back. only really doing it for a couple of games wasn't he yeah. you know the plan was what obviously think, to go and get Graham Jones in to be fair to him he was a little to West what Brom. I think impressed me about Mick was if you remember that the, the second interview we did with him when, when we talked about it and he turned around and said he said the club were absolutely right to sack to him, sack him yeah. at the time yeah. and I thought it takes a big man to f- admit that mm. you know and, and you know you can see with all that and not only did it mean a lot to, to Mick it meant a lot to the fans yeah. as well 
And, and it showed you just how much mixed love by the fans. I think as well, if yeah. Nick hadn't took the reins when we got deducted 30 points, we'd have been managerless. Yeah. I don't think you'd have ever got a manager of any yeah. calibre come and take a club on that's minus 30 points because yeah. they're on the, hiding to nothing anyway. Yeah, and Mick, Mick knew that, but he loved the club so much and he gave it his best shot. And as it turned out, we weren't that far out at the end of the season. No. Um, about 12 points short or something. Yeah. You know, when you look at, we were 30 down to start with. To finish 12 points short is, is an achievement in itself, in my book. Mm. And I've spoken to the man many, many, many times, and he's always got um, time to talk to you, no matter what he's doing. Where you are, you know, if he's talking to somebody else, hello, Reg, you'll come over, hello, Reg, and have a chat, and same with Kevin, hello, Kevin, how are you? And, you know, how's your dad, how's your mum, and etc. It's just an absolute gentleman, and I, I really don't think anybody else would have took that job on minus mm. 30 points. The man deserves all the credit he gets. Yeah, Maybe we need to make him man of the decade. Well, I mean, I gave you the option yeah. of making him manager of the team, but you, you chose John still, you know. But yeah, no, absolutely. There, I mean, his presence on this club over those t- over that ten year period, and obviously the two decades prior to it, can't be um, overstated. Another civic reception the day after those fantastic scenes against Oxford, mm. we again got in. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we was we was all in there, and Mick was in there, and it was. It was I, I, I actually thought that one was a bit more special than um, yeah. than the first one. Well, I know obviously there was a nice shiny trophy at the end of it, but I mean it felt like more than just that. It felt like we were back. Well, yeah. that, that was yeah. it for me because um, you know when people were singing Luton are back, it meant so much. Just like three words, it sort of like uh, chokes you up now, really, doesn't yeah, it? Because really of what does. happened, really, really what happened, and then just to come back and get back to that division where they rightfully should have been before those punishments. So. Um, it, it was it was special stuff, uh, and it, it was a wave uh, from the previous season as well. It just followed on that yeah. um, emotion, and um, yeah, you, those those moments where you know a, a title win or a promotion is confirmed, and then you know people are on the pitch, and then the, the the party for that night and the next day, and the yeah, they're they're the memories that sort of stick with you. It will stick with me. Yeah, so, I mean, it was crazy, wasn't it? Because we had the uh, Luton Town Supporters Trust presentation even in the week before the Oxford game. And yeah. actually, me and James had to record a load of messages, didn't we, of, of goodwill for the players on the Saturday because it looked like it was going to be a winner-takes-all showdown. Thankfully, obviously, Portsmouth didn't read the script and we got promoted, yeah. yeah. But from that to the following Saturday was just such an extreme and you mentioned about Luton being back there's just one one last night that I'd like to uh, recollect I've already done it on your website haven't I with my first column for you and that was when we were officially back at home against Middlesbrough at the start of this season just there's there's something magical that if you've been to Kenilworth Road under floodlights you'll know what it is but you'll never be able to describe what it is to anyone who hasn't had the experience and it shone perfectly that night mm. It was magical, you know. It, was, it wasn't dark, was it? Because in the middle of summer, it was that twilighty sort yeah. of magical kind of sunset. The town took on a Premier League, a side that a lot of were touting to be pushing for the Premier League. We matched them. We scored three fantastic goals. We had to come back from adversity like we have done. It, everything about being a Luton fan was resembled in that night, and it was just terrific. You got the honour of reporting on it. Mm. Me and Tony got the honour of, and Reg got the honour of sitting there and just enjoying 
the 10 years was all for that night really oh it was a brilliant night a special night the, the atmosphere before the kick off the build up to it and then during the game it was fantastic and it was a good game of football I mean, as well. very exciting game of football I don't it was just Friday night football and, yeah. and Sky and all, all of the what modern football brings but it was actually probably fitting that that was a Friday night as yeah but for a few hours we were top of the championship for a few hours so the noise that night was something uh, I've never experienced ever. So the, considering those massive moments that we've talked about that was another level yeah and I think you or Mike asked Graham Jones about the noise didn't you and he said only Anfield has ever matched it in his career and this is a guy who's coached in some of the biggest stadiums yeah. around the world so for him to say that and he wasn't saying it in a patronising get behind me kind of way to be yeah. truthful honesty to I it. think it, it, it's fantastic that we've got a new ground on the horizon and it, it seems like finally after so many years it's going to happen but we will miss Kenilworth Road mm. oh, big time you know it, it, it's just there's a lot of something magical about it it's just that yeah I know people knock it and everything else but there's been some fantastic nights there and it's also the way you're right up on top of the pitch I mean remember when we when we um, did the podcast with uh, Matty Matty Pearson and he said he'd played there before and he said it's just Unreal. I mean, we've had players like that have come in before and played at Kenilworth Road and experienced that atmosphere. And then they say, oh, do you know what? Now they're for me, you know, and they all remember it. It's not an easy place for a, an opposition team to come. It would be nice to think that we could take that to power court. It's, I think I wrote at the time um, of that Millwall game that you know, these okay. Middlesbrough, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, um, that these I mean I said it that they don't tend to come around so often they had done for like two years really there was a, you know great night after great night but um, sooner or later they're going to move from that ground and um, you won't be seeing football at Canada very much and there may not be too many more of them so every time it happens you've just got to yeah, savour it I mean look, Wigan that's, game I was going to say know. that's what made the Middlesbrough and Wigan yeah. games so special it's just the floodlights yeah. maybe not the new ones though. I don't know what they do you can't see the other side of the pitch but see as with Canada Friday we've all grown up it's got yeah, an enchantment all, about it. We've always been school kids, now we're all adults and we're still going there. And it, it's, it's, mm. it's like the Holy Grail, isn't it? Mm. We'll miss the cramped key dishes, the cramped seat, the smell from the toilets. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But can I just crowded. say one thing? We've touched on the North County game. Yeah. I'd just yeah. like, even now, just like to remember and, and thank the way we were treated at Notts County. Mm. Yeah. Not yeah. only at Notts County, but also at Notts Forest. <laughs> Yeah, Carlisle. Carlisle was the away game before. Yeah. Carlisle were brilliant as we, well. Um, we went up to Nottingham on the coach, and um, we was a little bit late getting there, and all the pubs and everything were crammed, and we we were told that we got a park in Notts Forest car park, and we come out of the car, out of the coach, and we were going to walk towards the the town to the, to the ground. And one of their stewards says, no, don't go there, mate. You won't get a beer or nothing to eat or anything. It's just absolutely rammed. And we were invited into the Brian Clough Diamond Season Ticket Holders Lounge. Mm-hmm. Nice. And free food was laid on, wasn't it? Free food. And the beer was, I think it was about £2 a pint. And the the hospitality by Knott's Forest was just second to none. Never witnessed it before. 
Hopefully they remember great. that in three weeks' time when we're, uh, <laughs> yeah. when we're there on our Sunday afternoon. Um, we've gone through the, the decade, brilliant times. Hopefully the next decade is going to be equally as brilliant as we move to Power Court and who knows where the club will go. Can I also chuck something in before you end this segment as well? Because it's not necessarily just a football thing. But this year, um, the two dates at Town Hall. That's a good. That's a, that's a great point, actually, the, and it was wrong of me. To yes, the, the yeah, two the dates both, where yeah. Power Court and Newlands Park yeah. got planning approval were something like I've. All yeah. that other stuff is football stuff, and you yeah. can no, you're emotionally absolutely right. carried they, away. But that they were the two biggest nights of the ten years yeah. behind none. That yeah. meant so much, yeah, and yeah, like you're the people that right. were in there. Um, you know, hugging, cheering. I don't think anyone's seen a planning council. Well, the council have, said that they've never had it before. They've never had it. Cheering and celebrating. The Newlands yeah. Park one in particular was a special night. The Newlands Park when you knew um, this is on, this is on. This is going to happen. The history history was made that day, and then um, to you know pile out of the town hall, and then everybody was in the uh, White House. I mean, everybody. So like the Luton directors, uh, managers, and um, all the fans that were there. Three members um, around. We this said table. that because um, my cousin, we went, we went in the White House um, after that, and we were playing Bradford, Bradford just after that, night, yeah. and. Uh, did got talking did this guy and he was from up north turned around to my cousin and said, oh, what's going on here? And he he just said that um told him what had happened and the guy said, Well I'm a Bradford fan. He said, I'm working down here. All right, he said playing here tomorrow night. He said, Yeah, so what you're all supporters and we say no. Uh most of us are supporters, but that's our chairman over there, that's our chief executive over there, that's the chief operations officer, da 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 and the guy looked at us and said, you are? And they're drinking and with your friend. He said, that would never happen at our club. Mm-hmm. God. And again, that makes it special. Yeah. We actually yeah. did an interview with Gary Sweet that night. We did, we? Yeah. Really, You don't normally see Gary Sweet emotional, but we managed to drag some emotions out of him and it was... Uh, well, he's he's touched everything. Didn't he's it? worked so hard on this, to be to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he, should, he shouldn't have to be, and the, all the people that have been working on it, you know, including the supporters' clubs, trying to support it and save our town. They shouldn't have to really. We shouldn't have had to go through these uh, last uh, two years to get this point because it's so obviously a good idea, and that was kind of um, you know just a massive. Um, spike of relief when that happened um, and I don't think I'd ever experience that again because it was it was more than football it was that oh, yeah, it was yeah. it was about the town that you know I live in and I love and, I think there's um, more to Gary than that because he was, he was more than influential in saving the club and getting rid of John Gurney yeah. um, than people realise yeah. Gary don't want to take the plaudits and then he, he he was straight back on the board again he, he left the board uh, the trust board when we put Bill Tomlins in and got rid of John Gurney. And then when that went pear-shaped, nobody could see that going pear-shaped. Everybody thought that Bill Tomlins coming in, Luton Town man, Luton Town fan. Mm. Nobody could see what was going to happen. Mm. Nobody knew it was going to happen. When it happened and we went into administration again, Gary was straight back on the board, pulling the strings. It's more to Gary than, than what people see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the bloke deserves a freedom of looting. If John still gets it, Gary should get it. Yeah, and hopefully we're not too far away from it actually being rubber stamped finally, and we can they can get on with the business of building it when that starts happening. 
that'll be another moment, really. I mean, I know yeah. we'll be in another decade, but to see building work there and the first few things that pop up out of the ground, um, it was going to be amazing, really. Yeah, looking forward to talking about the um, progress of yeah. Court in the podcasts and seasons to come, that is for sure. Uh, we'll finish off um, this uh, last episode of 2019, Tony, with an update on Trust Business. In particular, last month we held our AGM. Congratulations for being re-elected for uh, another two years as chairman. Thank you. And um, we actually um, confirmed three other members to the board just go through uh, two that were already on the board that have been rubber stamped and a new member yeah uh, Nicky Middleton is now our secretary um, elected uh, she was appointed back in July uh, when we actually advertised for the position and we had a number of applicants um, Nikki was an outstanding applicant and she got experienced in exactly the areas we needed um, she's got big steps to, to fill in uh, Brian Thompson but Brian's moved into the role as membership uh, secretary and he, he's guiding Nikki into it and she's coming in and doing a good job uh, then we have Marion Broadbent who actually applied for the secretary's position um, but her experience and everything was, was tailor made for a, another role we had uh on the back burner um, she's been in marketing for years and uh, we we wanted to uh, have a marketing expert on our board and she's come into that role and, and uh, some of the things she's trying to do and work closely with Brian and with the rest of us uh, gives us uh, a, a nice bright future with some of the things we want to do and uh, we've also got Paul Stevens who's come on board um, as a board member. Um, he had been working with Brian on the membership subcommittee, has come in and, and done some great work, um, brought some ideas in, has come on the main board. And uh, these are three motivated, great people who will be excellent additions to the trust board. And we will look forward to bringing you updates on everything that we do um, over the course of 2020 and beyond. All that's left is to uh, thank the three of you for joining me on this podcast and re uh, reminiscing on a great decade. I'd like to say thank you to the Hightown Club who uh, put us up mm. and allow us to record uh, in their um, establishment. And I would like to say very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to not just the three of you with me, but every Luton fan, every Luton Trust member, and everyone who listens to this. And it's a happy and prosperous Power Court New Year. Yeah.